I like number seven. It really stood out to me. It could be given like this. He who shows mercy, let him do so with cheerfulness. It has the meaning of one's heart laughing or one's eyes dancing. Have you ever seen anybody's eyes light up when something joyful is happening? That's how Paul says, with mercy, let your eyes light up. Let your heart dance. With that thought in mind, let your heart sing when you're showing mercy to others. Or let your eyes light up with the joy of the Lord. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Here in Romans 12, verses 1 through 8, verses 4 and 5, many members but one body. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. First, as believers, we are all part of the same spiritual body of Christ. We are all believers. As I said, we are all sinners saved by grace. We've all come to faith in the very same way through faith in Jesus Christ. Our journey may have been varied of how we got there, but when it comes down to it, We've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every one of us, we are all part of the spiritual body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.12, Paul wrote it this way, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So he's doing this comparative look at our own bodies that have many members, Uh, We have fingers and hands and feet and eyes and a nose and ears, and uh, they all have their own function within the body, but what makes up our body, the different parts of our body, it makes us one. So we have in the church different giftings that the Lord has given each one of us by which we are to serve Jesus and the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, again, Paul writes, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministry, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. God has gifted each one of us that we might serve Christ and his church 
and it's for the profit of all. No gift is self-sufficient and none is unnecessary. I think this is so important. None of our gifts. If God has given us a gift that we might use for his glory, then it's not an unnecessary gift. You personally may not initially see the relevance of that gift. You may not understand why the Lord has called you or gifted you with such a talent. But as Paul reminded Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, he said, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. For Timothy, it was this gift of evangelism that Paul was challenging him. And perhaps Timothy was thinking, I'm not really an evangelist. And yet Paul saw that the gift of evangelism had been given to Timothy, and he challenged Timothy. He said, don't neglect the gift that has been given to you. I think by being willing to lay down our gifts before the Lord in service to the Lord, saying, okay, Lord, I don't know exactly how you're going to make this come about. I don't know what you're going to do with this gift, this talent, but I want to give it back to you. I want to serve you, that then we discover that which the Lord has gifted us for. We learn. I believe the Lord has called me to preach. He's also developed me into a teacher. In fact, I would say that I'm probably more teacher than preacher. But it's through the use of that gift, through the years, that I've been able to refine the ability of both preaching and teaching. And imagine what the church would look like if every member served Jesus with his or her God-given giftings. It would not only change, I believe, the members within the body of Christ, but those outside as well. Remember, Francis Schaeffer said that the church is guilty of the slide of the world, that we have been guilty of the course that our world has went down because of the weakened view of God's word among the church today. And I believe the church is at its best when we through love serve one another. As Paul said in Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, you've been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And we have each been given a measure of faith that we might, in love, serve one another. I don't know what your giftings are. Maybe you're not quite sure your exact giftings. Seeking the Lord, Lord, what gifts do you have? What would you have me to do? And sometimes by laying down what we know that the Lord has given us, we discover even more that he has for us. And so he finishes out today, verses 6 through 8, these differing gifts of God, he lists out seven for us. And I read again the context in verse 6. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There's more than seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he listed out seven here for us. And although the theologians may debate 
over when the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual's life as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's important for us to remember that the Holy Spirit is sovereign in distributing the gifts to each of us. Again, we fall back to a great passage. It talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, But one, the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills, as God wills. Not as perhaps as we would like, but as God wills. Paul begins with the gift of prophecy. He says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. We think of prophecy, we think of telling some event in the future that's unknown to us. But this Greek word has two different senses of understanding it. One, it is foretelling of future events that are unknown to us at this point. But it's also foretelling. It's taking what the Lord has already given us and declaring God's word to others. So in prophecy, there is both the foretelling and the forthtelling of God's word. Here's something that Paul thought so important was this gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14.1. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. I think many of us, we have a fear of the prophetic gift of prophecy sometimes. And, and I, I tell you that it can be fearful to speak forth what the Lord has given you, but unless you're willing to take the chance to speak forth the words that he might give to you at a single hour, a single day, whenever it might be, you'll never know. So if prophecy Use it in proportion of our faith. Several years ago, right before we went into the Great Recession, it was in October, if you remember, back in 2007 and 8, somewhere in that time, our country slid into a recession. On that Sunday morning, I, I stood up to preach in the pulpit. I had my notes, and I never got to my notes. In fact, I remember at one point taking the notes... I actually had them on paper back then. I took them and said, it's obvious I'm not going to get to this today. And I slid them on the shelf in my pulpit. And I remember that message saying, what if tomorrow morning we wake up and everything is different? Do you know that the next day the markets crashed and everything was different? Now, what if I chose to not say what the Lord was putting on my heart at that hour. I don't know. I, I know that there was uh, someone who had visited our church off and on, never plugged in, never connected with our fellowship, but kept showing up. And for two weeks in a row, this woman came to our church. And I remember a week later, sitting downstairs, and she said to me and another person sitting next to us, she says, it's as if you're a prophet. Now, I'd never viewed myself that way, but what I do understand is that sometimes the Lord puts something on my heart and I take a step of faith. And sometimes it seems foolish. I've shared this story with you before, but as a brick mason foreman, I dreamed once on a job that we were working on 
that there was an accident on the job that caused the death of one of my bricklayers. And so the next day, I gathered my bricklayers together. We were using uh, what I call cherry pickers. They were lifts that could lift up to three stories in the air. And we were reworking the parapet or the top of a building. In my dream, one of these machines, while it was up in the air, was moving and it fell in a hole and collapsed and someone died. And I knew the guys who were together in that one machine. And so I told the guys, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I had a dream last night and I have had dreams before that have become reality. And I said, I do not want to take a chance that this will become a reality. I'm your boss, so I can tell you that this is how it's going to be as long as we're working on these machines. We had three weeks to finish the job that we were doing with these machines. I said, I never want to see, and the groups, the people that was in the one machine at the same time where one person died, I made sure that they were never in that machine together at the same time. Now, maybe it was just a dream, but what if the Lord had given me a vision of what would take place in the future, and I did not act on the dream? Nothing happened. Everyone was safe. We never had an incident. There was no crash. There was no injury whatsoever, but I wasn't going to take the chance on the what if, and so I followed through. Even though it may have caused me to look the fool to others who are especially non-believers, at that place, at that time, I was their boss. I had the right to say so and to make sure that the job went the way I wanted it, and it did. But I did that because of past experience where I had had dreams. I would never say a vision, but I had had dreams that I'd acted upon and I'd seen them become reality. But because of past experience, it caused me to take a stance with only one other person was a believer in this crew of six of us, but it caused me to take this stance before unbelievers, and maybe some walked away, it's like Johnny kept us safe. Maybe that was their thought. Maybe they walked away and it's like, he's crazy, but he's the boss and we'll just do what he tells us to do. I don't know, but I wasn't gonna take the chance. If the gift of prophecy with the proportion of our faith, so you take the step of faith. If ministry, let us use it in our ministering. And this word literally means in the Greek to wait on tables. We think of minister today, we think of a pastor serving in his church, but the Greek word actually is not limited to the pastor, but anyone within the Lord's church who has a servant's heart. As it says in Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. In teaching, he who teaches in teaching, if you've been given the gift to teach or to give instruction. And, and listen, there's a big difference between preaching and teaching. The Greek word that describes preaching means to announce good news or glad tidings, while teaching means to provide instruction in either a formal or informal setting. And so we preach, Paul says in Colossians 1.28, we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul saw a difference between preaching and teaching. So if we've been given the gift 
of teaching, then teach. The gift of exhortation, he who exhorts in exhortation. It's a, remember I said our very first word, parakleo. Paul said, I beseech you. It's the same word that's translated as exhortation here. Parakleo, it's a compound Greek word. Kleo means to call, so to call beside, to call near. It has this broad meaning that can be meaning to call someone near to comfort, to exhort someone in their faith. And we are to do this in Hebrews 10.25. As we see the day approaching, the day of the Lord approaching, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Hebrews 10.25. We are to call near, we're to exhort one another as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ approaching. In giving, he who gives in liberality, to give, to share of, to impart something to someone. And we know that it speaks in ministry of financial gifts to the work of ministry. This word actually in the Greek is only used five times in the New Testament. In Luke 3.11, John the Baptist tells the multitude as an act of repentance. In Luke 3.11, he says, if someone has two, we would say coats, and you see someone who doesn't have a coat, then give one of your coats to the one that doesn't have one. He who gives, give to another. In Romans 11.1, 1, Paul said, I want to impart this gift to share. I want to impart some spiritual gift. He wanted to, at the beginning of his letter, he said to the Roman believers, I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul and those who ministered with him wanted not only to share the gospel, but their own lives they wanted to impart the gospel, but they wanted to impart, they wanted to share their own lives with those in Thessalonica. In Ephesians 4.28, Paul tells the redeemed thief to work with his hands. He used to be a thief. He used to steal with his hands. Now he's telling that redeemed thief, steal no longer, but work that you might be able to share with others. He used to steal from others. That would be a hard one for someone who's used to taking from others to share with others. Here in Romans 12, 8, Paul tells his readers that if their gift is giving to do so with a liberty, it means a word that has been translated in the King James as simplicity. It speaks about a singleness of direction, not having any ulterior motive or double meaning. You know, I get nervous when people come to me as their pastor announcing that they have a gift for the church. I do because I fear that when they have to announce it to me that they're wanting something out of it. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know how to receive that. We had a couple once say that after church one day, Pastor John, we have $27,000 we'd like to give to the church. And I responded back. I said, every week the offering bags at the time were passed. Every week the bags are passed. If you have a gift you want to give to the Lord, you have opportunity to give that. You don't have to announce it to me. In the following week, there was 27000 extra dollars in the offering bag. For the most part, nobody in this fellowship knows 
And I maybe wouldn't have known if they wouldn't have announced it to me. So I, I kind of get nervous with that. When we give, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, let us give as we have purposed in our heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. So when you give, have a singleness of direction, no double meaning or, you know, I'm going to give this, that there'll be a name of recognition, a, a name tag on the wall that, you know, people for the next hundred years can see. Does it really matter? If we give, give. And don't worry about it after the gift is given. If the gift is misused, and sometimes we know that that happens in, in church life, then you've done your part, and we have to rest in that. I, I know I've given to ministries that they've misused the funds that have been given. And we've seen ministries that have fell, and a lot of times the fall has to do with financial matters. And yet, you know, it's sad when that happens, but it's not against us. We've done our part, and the individual or the ministry will be held accountable by God. We have to trust that God will hold them accountable. We don't need to do that. In leadership, he who leads with diligence. To lead, it means simply to preside or rule over others. And Paul tells those in leadership to do it with diligence. That Greek word speaks about speed, eagerness, or earnestness. If you're a leader, then lead, basically, Paul is saying. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. So let them do so with joy and not with grief. For what would be the profit for you? If God has given leaders over you, then let those leaders lead and let it be done with joy and not with grief. I can tell you that it's fun to lead when you can lead with joy. And Paul said to those who maybe would cause the leaders grief, he said it's no profit for you to do that. I like number seven. It really stood out to me. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The mercy simply speaks about having mercy or compassion. That cheerfulness, the word that is translated as cheerfulness, can also be translated as happiness. Here's what I liked about this. He who shows mercy, it could be given like this. He who shows mercy, let him do so with cheerfulness. It has the meaning of one's heart laughing or one's eyes dancing. Have you ever seen anybody's eyes light up when something joyful is happening? That's how Paul says, with mercy, let your eyes light up. Let your heart dance. Now, I'm not a dancer. So it would be good that my heart would dance and let my feet stay where they're at. <laughs> but with that thought in mind, let your heart sing when you're showing mercy to others or let your eyes light up with the joy of the Lord. James tells us in James 2.13 that mercy triumphs over judgment. And since God has gifted to each one of us spiritual giftings, he has given us each. He has dealt each one of us a measure of faith. He has dealt, they were playing seven cards. There were seven gifts in this that Paul listed out to us. Let's not hold them close to our chest as if we want to 
keep others from seeing what gifts and talents the Lord has given to us. Or let's not look at them and think, uh, I don't like these two, Lord, I'm, I want to exchange them. Let's not lay down and ask for two other gifts. Let's lay them all down before the Lord and use the gifts that he has given us. And if you're unsure of those gifts, well, then pray and ask. Luke eleven thirteen tells us, Jesus saying, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Sometimes we lack the understanding of our giftings because we haven't sought the Lord. We haven't asked. And have you asked for the good gift of God's Holy Spirit to come upon your life, the gifts of the Spirit to be upon you and to be used for God's glory? We thank you, Lord, for your word and for what it has spoken to us this day. Lord, that we would not be conformed, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would be holy, that we would present our lives, which is our reasonable service. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.